Welcome to Medical Misfits. My guest today is Fabienne Krotte. Fabienne is a medical doctor and right now working as a clinical studies team lead at Ada Health here in Berlin. That's actually a company I know because it was literally my first consulting customer when I did regulatory consulting. Um, she studied medicine also here in Berlin and started working at Ada Health as a medical student actually on the medical knowledge team. And after that, She worked in the clinical evaluations team before joining Ada Health full-time after graduating as a doctor. Now she's working in the area of clinical studies, which I'm actually really interested to talk to her about because I actually don't know much about clinical studies. And medical students, they just don't learn much about how to do clinical studies, in my opinion. Um, now, why is Fabienne really interesting to talk to? I think she's really interesting because, firstly, her path is yet another path than the paths we've heard and from from Pia guests but also because it's well maybe like quite medical in nature still like it's not like a doctor who taught themselves software development and works like as a hardcore software developer but instead it's still something which sounds quite medical which something which a medical student or which a doctor any doctor could maybe do if they dive deeper into this topic of clinical violations and clinical trials because it still requires like quite a lot of medical knowledge, I assume. And um, so that's why it's quite interesting. And finally, what also is interesting is that Fabian told me that she's currently working from Bali in Indonesia. So that's definitely something I would like to talk to, talk about with her too. So thanks for joining me today, Fabian. Thank you, Oliver, for having me. Great. So as far as I see, you also well, finished your medical degree in Germany, which requires you to work for one year as a in an internship, essentially, well, well we call it like practical year, practitioner's year. Um, and after that, you also, just like me, didn't um, take, a, take on a job as a doctor. Is, is that right? And if so, why? Yeah, so that is correct. So I initially um, planned to do my residency right after graduating. Um, and just maybe take a couple of months off in between. But as very often it happens, plans changed in the end. So as you mentioned, I did work already in digital health as a med student for a couple of years already for graduating at a startup called Ada Health in Berlin. And yeah, so nearly the whole time I was studying, I actually got to experience the industry um, quite well instead of working in the hospital. And I was always quite sure that I wanted to work as a doctor. I really enjoy learning about like how the human body works and interacting with patients. It brings me a lot of joy. So I initially thought I was actually graduating. Um, but when I got into digital health, like a couple of years before, that was actually rather a coincidence. So my previous flatmate was working for Ada as a machine learning expert. And he just told me like we had breakfast someday. Um, and he was just asking me, like, we have, lots of, we have lots of medical students working for us. Like, why do you not apply? And I was working in hospital um, doing, like, night shifts at that time, which was okay. Um, it was still fun. But it sounded quite interesting, and I never thought about it before. So he asked, and they still were looking for med students. So I actually just went, I think, on a Friday just to talk with them. And on Monday, I in the end started working with them. And I absolutely loved it. I love working in digital health. I love working for the startup. Like we had not only great coffee and like table kicker and everything in like beautiful office, but actually they just valued your opinion so much of a medical student, which I just was not aware of before. 
Um, and I just met a lot of great people from different backgrounds and learned a lot of different things that I would have never learned in hospital. So I just really, really enjoyed um, working with them and working in digital health and learning about it. And then also I was able to do my doctoral thesis with them. So I planned to do that outside, actually. Um, and I took a semester off, I think, in 2018. And as it often happens, my supervisor didn't really have time for me in the end, so I stopped doing it. <laughs> I think the story of a lot of med students. Um, so I just started working for Ada already full time and mentioned to them, like, if they have a research project, if they, if I could maybe do my thesis with them. And a couple of weeks later, actually, there was an opportunity. So I started working on my doctoral thesis with them long before there was a clinical studies team, actually, just like split my attention between that and my normal work in the medical knowledge team. And it was a very great experience. I learned a lot again, and we built a lot of processes that were just not existent. I learned how to write an ethics application, which I had no idea how that worked before, how to design a study or even run a study, but there was a lot of support. And then Stephen Gilbert joined, so in 2020, I think, and founded actually the studies team, which I joined like right, right away. Um, and I just noticed how much I love running clinical studies in digital health and just the whole industry. Um, the people you meet are incredible. You have so much support and everyone's just so friendly and helpful. And yeah, it's been a pretty good experience so far. And also Steve was a great mentor the whole time. Um, so yeah, I thought actually, I finished my thesis in I think the last year um, during my medical study. So while I was working my PIOT, um, I still have to publish the thesis about the publication process. Everything went well during that time. So I actually thought, yeah, I can... I learned so much I can just stop working with Ada and start working as a doctor right away. Um, but while I was still working in Piot in like four days in hospital and like one day for Ada, I just noticed how much I was always looking forward to these Fridays was actually for working for Ada. Um, and I always thought like you study for seven years and you study so that you become a doctor so that you can give something back to society. And I kind of, but like, yeah, now you've like had your fun, you worked in digital health and now you like have to like start with a real life and like work hard and go to hospital and give something back. Um, so I struggled a little bit with noticing that I actually really enjoyed doing something else instead. And I talked to a lot of people in hospital as well, like lots of, lots of doctors and just like about the situation I was in. And I got so much feedback from people who were doing something different than just working as a doctor in hospital who like took a couple of years off in between. I don't know, they were a musician in between or just traveled a lot and worked abroad and all of these things and also did research. So they kind of then told me that you actually don't have to start working in hospital right away if there's something else you want to do. And I noticed actually that these people were more interesting to talk to than those that like just went straight away from med school to hospital into practice later on and yeah they kind of teach me that it's okay to take time doing something completely different and that it just helps you grow and set you on, on your path and um i guess we are in a very luxurious situation that we can always go back to hospital because there are just so many jobs so i think that kind of yeah made me make my decision to not go to hospital right away but rather pre just do whatever i actually really enjoyed and that was working at ada at that time so I did that and I started, I think two weeks after graduating, I started working full-time for Ada and I was so looking forward to finally not split my attention between med school and working for Ada because that was sometimes a little bit difficult. 
Um, but like literally just working full time, it felt like actually kind of a relief working full time because I have so much time from now on and like learning about data analyses and all these different things that you can learn when working in studies and, and in industry. So yeah, that was actually really exciting and I didn't, didn't regret that decision at all. Right. Very cool. And could you imagine, so now you mentioned that it was a bit of a coincidence that you got the initial job as a student through your, through your flatmate at the time. Could you imagine if you wouldn't have gotten that job, your first job in digital health, that you might have just ended up working as a doctor or would you have said mm, at the time after talking to all your, well, all the people who um, didn't necessarily do medical work for some time that after talking to them, you would have said, okay, I'm definitely not working for a doctor, but I'm still going to look for another opportunity. Um, well, you never know, but yeah, I guess so actually, because in Berlin, I feel there are a lot of people in hospital who do something different. If I went to my hometown in Freiburg, it was like it was actually rare that you found someone who yeah. did not do hospital work right away. Um, but I think luckily in Berlin, I got into like a bubble as well um, for like digital health. And lots of my friends are actually you know, working in hospital right now. And yeah, I think even if I wouldn't have gotten it, the job then, I could imagine that I've done something different, but yeah, I'll never right. know that at the end. Okay. And how did you, how did you meet those people? Which kind of sounds like a weird question, but like if, if you have other, I mean, if you would, if you could give that, that advice to me literally like 10 years ago, because I, I studied in Heidelberg and uh, I didn't have this network of people doing other things, doing like interesting things. Did you have like any way of meeting them or was that simply like a Berlin happy coincidence that it's simply like a Berlin thing that people tend to do different things? Actually, I think it developed like my normal, my normal, like the people I was friends with, they just all like actually nearly all just got into digital health at some point. Right. I think it's just because someone started and then people started thinking about, oh, there are actually different things outside of hospital. So then another friend started and then maybe you knew there's position in that company or that and even in research that like that option that someone can join. And I feel like they just like that bubble just grew. So people in the end, I think I started in the third semester and back then there were not many people in digital health that I knew of. But just during your studies, you talk to people and you find out like, oh, randomly they actually are also working in that field. Um, I also think that in Berlin, HRTA, they actually try to get people more involved with digital health. They're like courses that you can take. And I think, especially after I graduated, there were even more. I know one of my friends is involved in, um, in that charity and those courses as well, so that people actually hear about digital health and working in that field. Um, but yeah, if I give advice, I think it's actually, if you're just interested in that, just going to these free networking events, you get like free food, right. free coffee, and you meet a lot of mm -hmm. interesting people. And actually, yeah. I know it's super hard sometimes, but actually just stand in line and just start chatting to your random neighbor right away. I think um, not many people are comfortable with that, but just by like actually being proactive and just going there, maybe take a friend and then just start talking and you notice yeah. you're meeting so many incredible people. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's a great That's a great um, suggestion. If if your university offers these sort of events, like I mean Heidelberg, <laughs> I think Heidelberg nowadays actually does. To be fair, so so that it's it's it will also work in Heidelberg, I suppose. At the time, at the time though, like in, in the dinosaur age when I was still studying medicine, 
then uh, I think that sort of stuff wasn't offered in Heidelberg. But then again, that was also kind of a bit of a long time ago. Um, I think you graduated. So I graduated in 2016. And I think based on reading your, your LinkedIn, you studied and you started in 2015. Is that right? Yeah. So probably yes. maybe also digital health was like a bit uh, a bigger thing, but who knows? I mean, Charité definitely sounds like a better place to be if you're a doctor. Um like with some digital health interest, I suppose, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's also just Berlin in general, just because there's so much industry going on here. There's quite a big startup scene, in, especially like in the health area as well. Um, so maybe I think that influence already helps. Yeah, good point, yeah. Um, another question I have, <laughs> this I got this idea actually this morning. So if if you're not comfortable answering it, I'll cut it out. By the way, uh, like how were your how were your grades in high school and in med school? Oh, that's a that's actually a good question. I don't mind answering. So they were uh, in high school, they were okay, I think. So um, I graduated with I think one point four, which is actually not amazing for med students. Like more on the bad side for med students, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but Berlin had these the specific tests for like the science tests where you like to learn biology, chemistry, math, physics, and I just studied for that and got in because my grades in that test were quite good. <laughs> and then during medical school, um, in the beginning, they were also not amazing just because I was doing so many other things. And I also like I did like studying, but I also like doing a lot of different things. And I. Um, travel during the semester break I was also back home during semester break a lot I was working always during my studies um, I was like just having too many hobbies too many things that I enjoyed so my grades weren't the best um, but I always passed at least and then I think in eighth semester I noticed I nearly failed one one um, exam and then I was like wow now you really have to like, start studying a bit more so I think from the eighth semester when I got like more and more into studying and then the grades also changed dramatically i right. would say okay um and i was also much more motivated back then and yeah okay well i guess it's better late than never in the eighth semester <laughs> like you still have like <laughs> at least a couple semesters where you can uh, do like some good studying and get some good grades yeah <laughs> yeah i actually it's really crazy only after my very last like my oral exam i felt oh, i noticed that i actually know a lot about the human body before that i was always not very confident i was like ah well you don't know that much there's like so much you don't know so focusing more about all the things that i didn't know and um, and of course i just had a lot of friends who were like really smart and who just knew a lot of things and always you compare yeah. yourself with them and i was like ah well um but after that last final exam i finally noticed like ah, yeah there's actually stuff that you know and yeah. you can actually be a doctor now mm -hmm. <laughs> that sounds pretty great like i mean as a comparison when i graduated i still didn't have any idea that i thought like how the human body worked like i still i still was pretty unsure about that so, yeah but. i i guess it's okay um because you learn so much like in your first job then again if you're working in hospital like you're going to be like focusing right. on work so much and learning um and like you studied for so long it's also okay to have like other things on the side and actually building hobbies and interests during your studies that help you stay sane while working full-time then is mm -hmm. i think in my opinion even more important than just learning um it doesn't make you the better doctor if you're like burned out because everything you've done in life so far is study medicine and focus on that yeah good point 
Well, before we get into your work at uh, at Ada about like clinical trials, among other things, I have one other interesting thing we could talk about, and that's you actually working from Bali. So <laughs> that that I thought was really, really, really cool. So how did you how did you get that idea? Um, well, I was always dreaming about living by the ocean, being able to surf in the morning and then start work after. And I pretty much spent every holiday going on like surf trips and already like working for Ada last year. I already did like a couple of weeks going on holiday in Portugal and working from there. And I just noticed it actually worked out for me quite well. I just get a lot of energy um, from doing that lifestyle or from that lifestyle. Um, so then I went to Bali in November last year for like a yoga teacher training and just extended holiday for six weeks. So, and I just fell in love with the place. I've been here before in 2019 and I liked it. But when I came back, I just noticed that this is really what I want right now. And this is exactly enabling me to have that lifestyle that I've been dreaming about for so long. And that I currently just have a job that actually allows me to work remote for a while. Um, so I went back to Germany in December and then packed my things and just came back. And yeah, so far it's been working out great. I noticed that I'm... Very, like I'm actually much more productive just because I have much more energy and motivation. I love my job much more since I'm here again. I like just, yeah, I don't know. It's you strike a really good work-life balance and that's what's very important for me always. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, <laughs> and interesting parallels to, I guess, I, I did something similar from Thailand, like where I went there for like one month and then kind of like came back to Germany and realized, okay, that was pretty cool. Like, <laughs> let's, let's go back again. So I kind of like, Yeah, I was was back for Christmas, packed my stuff, and then went back. And how do you? So how do you make that work? Like things which come to mind for me are like, well, firstly you have the time zone difference, and you probably have to like schedule meetings as, at at specific times with your colleagues. But also, like, how does it work with like co working spaces? And how do you like make the like? How do you how do you like organize your time between surfing and working? Do you like? Do you like work every day and like try to surf in the evenings or is it like a weekend activity uh, and you always like work full time during the week or how, how, how does all that infrastructure work? Um, yeah, it's actually much easier than I would have expected. So the time difference is currently six hours. So I have the whole mornings to myself and actually back home, that's, our, that's what I like as well. Just having a morning for myself, a good morning routine. So I try to go surfing um nearly every morning like maybe four or five times a week and like wake up early go surf um have a nice breakfast just maybe i don't know do some journaling or um do some yoga as well and then i start usually around 11 and until like 7 38 ish depending on yeah how long my meetings go sometimes they also go like until 10 but that's still that's still all right The difficult things are the U.S. meetings, which are like in, in the middle of the night. But luckily, I've got right. an incredibly supportive team um, that are already well-trained, uh, working very independently already, which is great, um, and then cover the U.S. times. Or sometimes I just do it, but it's like not a big thing if it's like once a month um, or even once a week would be fine. Um, so actually, the time difference made me much more productive. Because I can start working when everyone's still asleep. No one's messaging you on Slack. No one wants anything from you because they're just like all still sleeping. And you get to like the first half of your day, you just get to work on the things you, had, you actually plan to work on. 
Whereas back home, usually I wake up and I want to have the morning for myself a little bit. Start work maybe around like nine-ish. And then already everyone's like messaging, can you work on this and that? So this is actually working really well for me. Um, and then usually I have like a larger meeting time from like four o'clock until like eight. Um, so usually I ask people to schedule meetings um, between that, like in that time or like three to eight. And I noticed that I can even reduce my meeting time or make them more efficient because you're more picky on what you actually do and when you actually have a meeting. And in a company where sometimes there are a lot of meetings, it's a very good exercise to check your calendar. What are actually the meetings you actually have to attend? And for me as a manager, it also helps me just delegate because sometimes I'm just not available. So they have to figure out things on their own, which they absolutely can. Um, or just consider, do I really have to be in that meeting? But most of the time, um, I actually don't have to. So um, yeah. most of my meetings are about my own projects or just one-to-ones with people in my team. And yeah, they're incredibly supportive. And I really hope I've been trying to get them here as well just so that we can open yeah. up a short, short-term office here. Um, because everyone's excited to work remote. Um, I've been talking to my manager a lot about it and like how he sees it. And it's just, it's been going great actually. Yeah. Oh, that and sounds pretty cool. Asking, yeah. Yeah. And you were asking about the co-working space as well. So there are plenty of options. I was on Lombok for a month before that and I didn't have a co-working space. So I was having meetings most of the time back home just um, because I like, like especially one-on-ones, I don't like it. You're like in a big, um, like in a cafe where everyone can listen and it's crowded, but I rather really like to focus on talking to the people then. So I had my meetings back home and otherwise I went to like cafes with like good internet, good coffee. Um, and then when I went back to Bali, I subscribed for like three months now um, to a co-working space that's like not even five minutes from my home. And I can book silent booths, um, like these phone booths for my meetings. And otherwise I'll just sit in a bigger room with AC, which is important to me because it's really warm during the day. So I just, I can't work all day outside. It's just too hot. Um, yeah, and it's actually very flexible. I can just book a lot of phone booths constantly if I need it. And if not, I'll just sit yeah. with other people out there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and it's a really good aspect about like having your mornings to yourself. That's also the same thing I noticed in Thailand. And I think you can probably make that work like, get that effect in germany too but it's just like way harder and also harder to communicate i feel like if you like if i would like tell people like okay i don't do morning meetings full stop and they would be like okay it's like a bit weird and you would have to have the discipline of for example not checking your emails and messages in the mornings and depending on who works in your in your team or your company or if it's like a large company like ada maybe people might simply like expect you to reply in the morning if you're in the same time zone so it's definitely, I guess, easier because um, then it's kind of like by design, right? Then if you're in a different time yeah. zone, that's that's like it. You're, you're sleeping, like you, you're working at different hours. So that's really cool. Yeah, it really is helpful. And I always back home, I have the feeling of missing out if I don't work in the morning. So I couldn't really, like if I do sports or go to the gym or do something, I like constantly check my phone. Um, whereas here, I just, I don't need to because I know nothing's going to happen anyway. Um, so it, right. it is really helpful also just for your own morning routine to be a bit more, yeah, just to focus on it more. Um, and back home, I just, like I did sports in the evening, which is also fine. But then I was usually so awake afterwards that I couldn't sleep. So it's like actually really helpful mm -hmm. for me to switch it up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. 
And now moving forward to your work at Ada. So I, I suppose fr from an outsider's perspective, which is probably wrong, is you, you did two things there. You probably did way more things there. But initially, as a medical student, you worked on the medical knowledge team. And nowadays, you work on the clinical trials team. So could you briefly describe like what what you did in each of those positions and like um yeah how like what what the difference is from like how you started out versus like what you do nowadays yeah sure so in the medical knowledge team most of the students were um focusing on um not creating the ai but working with the ai so you helped generate medical knowledge and like entered information about the different diseases and the symptoms um, so that was mostly like looking into PubMed and like researching about the conditions, probabilities in different countries. And yeah, just helped, like helped working on that core product, um, which is also really fun. And I really enjoyed working on that as well. But then when I got the option to work more on clinical trials through my thesis, I actually noticed that this is something I enjoy even more. Um, so when I switched I initially started working on that one, like on only one project because I was working, I think like 40 hours a month, like the classic time you work as a student. So I had like one major project, which was the research project in my work. Um, and it was like literally just like writing ethics application, designing a study, um, always going back from Berlin to Marburg. Like I was there for study initiation training um, for like monitoring the data, like setting up the database with another institute together analyzing the data so like literally all the different steps right in the publication communicating results internally externally like all of these things were kind of my one work and then of course you also gave input to like other studies inside the team once the team was founded and um, so that was how it initially uh, went and right now it's actually very different so when i started full-time um I talked to my previous manager when I decided actually to start full-time and we identified projects that I'm like very passionate about. So we do currently work in the global health area a lot. So we set up studies in, we just finished one in Tanzania and one in Romania. And we just started data enrollment, uh, data patient enrollment in South Africa as well and in other global health country, low middle income countries. We also start setting up projects now. So that's super, super exciting. And I think, where my, like my favorite work as well. So you work with different NGOs and other research partners. Um, we just set up, like learn to set up phone interviews, like design phone interviews. Like that's just what currently has been happening as well. And then we also work in the rare disease area with a pharma industry and with, um, for example, with Charité as well. So like with different university hospitals um, to identify patients with rare diseases and connect them to appropriate healthcare providers around like in different countries. Um, and then what we also do is we work with different enterprise clients. So it does integrate in different healthcare networks around the globe. And we actually, we do kind of real world performance monitoring, which is called active post-market surveillance, which you probably are very well aware of in your job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so we started <laughs> setting up like different smaller data gatherings um, in different countries and just check if the product is safe, if, is it efficient, is it bringing the value to patients and providers. Um, so that there's so many different areas that you can actually set up trials or even like APMS, active post-market surveillance, um, to just generate data, to make decisions based on data, which is very important for, for our company. Um, 
and yeah everyone in our in our um, team has like their own projects but often we lead them together so if one is sick or on holiday there's always someone to cover and also just a bounce of ideas just to discuss um and yeah it's pretty amazing we work close with the product team we work close with marketing we work close with kind of nearly every team with the regulatory team and because of course if you have claims like especially like medical claims you need to provide data so we set up a trial in Portugal right now, a bigger one, like multi-site to actually prove those claims. Um, so yeah, it's very, you learn a lot about the business in general as well without reading any business books. So you actually just pick up how does a product team work? What does a regulatory team do and why is it important? Like what are marketing options? Like how to communicate, like scientific communication is a big thing. Um, so yeah, these are like the different areas we're working on. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And can you share... And if not, no problem. What what those studies are about, like in in Tanzania, for example, or in other countries, like I, I could imagine listeners being quite interested in that because they could think, hey, this actually sounds really cool and really interesting. Doing like a digital health study um, and leading that sort of thing. Absolutely. So the study in Tanzania, for example, is specifically interesting because we explored a new use case for Ada. So Ada is a symptom checker. I'm not sure if people are aware. Right. And so patients usually enter their symptoms and then um, there's a generative question flow that's been uh, that's been generated um, and you end up with a report, usually it's a PDF, with like three to five conditions and advice level what you could do next and like information about those conditions and probabilities. Um, and what we did in Tanzania is actually we explored if not the patient themselves use uses the symptom checker but actually so in low and middle income countries you often have mid-level healthcare workers so these are not fully medical doctors but also like people with medical education but not as long as a fully trained medical doctor and there is a specific shortage of healthcare workers i guess already globally but specifically in low and middle income countries so what we were looking at was can actually a symptom checker um, with all this information help and empower these mid-level healthcare workers that they make better decisions about their patient, maybe help them work more efficiently and increase their diagnostic accuracy. So that's what we did in the end. It's like a pilot study. It's not very big yet. Um, but we, so the clinical officers and the mid-level healthcare workers, they were using Ada in the end, asking the questions that the symptom checker um, was asking the patient to the patient directly and entering the answers for the patient. And in the end, they got the report and got to ask more of the individual questions. So what we looked at was the diagnostic accuracy in comparison to those of medical doctors. So we had like the research physicians and like the normal medical doctors working there and um, looking at the same patient in the same case and compared then with another physician panel, the results who were also looking at the case. And we noticed that the accuracy actually increased of the mid-level healthcare workers to those of the medical doctors themselves. So the results were actually incredible. Like I think up to 21% diagnostic accuracy increase. Um, and of course we have to consider this is a pilot study. So what we now have to do is look into like bigger patient groups, like have more numbers. Um, but it's already like really, really interesting to see that ADA potentially can help mid-level healthcare workers become like better, better healthcare professionals. And also yeah. save time because they're already like having this report of symptoms, like just save documenting time. Wow. And if I understood that correctly, you said the mid-level healthcare workers with the software actually became better than the doctors, like better diagnostic accuracy. Is that right? 
not the same. It's like they improved. Oh, the same. So they, okay. the, it was exactly the same as the medical doctors we were comparing to in the end. So you had right. like the middle and, of the healthcare okay. worker, the medical doctor, and then the panel. So you had like these three different options. And then and you always compared, like the gold standard panel was the answer you compared to. Right. And the doctors, of course, they didn't have the software, right? Like it was like the mid-level yes. workers plus yes. software and then doctors without software and panel obviously without software. So Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, that's really cool. I mean, that kind of like, I mean, again, yeah, pilot study and everything, but that kind of like shows that in theory, maybe you could really empower these mid-level healthcare workers to um, do an extremely good job like through software essentially so that's uh that's really exciting yes absolutely but one thing you always have to consider is in which countries you're implementing this so um sometimes like if this is running on like mobile data for people um they actually don't have that much mobile data or sometimes not the money for the mobile data so we noticed mm -hmm. um in south africa for example it's really hard for people when we looked into into different use cases to actually use that because it requires them to use too much data and they actually don't have really smartphones um, to use it on. So it's really, really difficult to reach the right people. Um, whereas like, for example, in Indonesia, it feels like a lot of people have like smartphones, data is super cheap here. Um, so you really have to consider in which areas actually your product does make a lot of sense and how, like where can it actually have the biggest impact on people? Wow, yeah, that's a good point. Very interesting. And now if you would like if you if, if people would now want a better picture of what you what you do like day to day, could you like describe like a typical day for you? And of course like you described multiple things you've been doing in the past. So maybe if we just focus on like a maybe a trial project like the Tanzania project or a similar project, like how How did your how would your typical work day look on on such a day and what would you be doing? Um yeah, so right now I usually split my work between project work, so study work and those as a manager. So I usually have one-to-ones as well on my day, usually like half an hour. We always have um stand-ups now in the morning, so we explore different agile ways of working, which I'm I was never familiar with. So I've been starting to work with Jira and like retros and everything and i'm just completely newbie so actually one of my team is guiding me a lot on that um so yeah we start with like a coffee chat usually and like for in germany that's 10 for me that's at four and um, where we actually just 10 15 minutes talk about everything but work just because it's important if you work remote that you actually stay connected to your team um if everyone's in a different position in in the world and yeah it's actually just like randomly chatting about everything we're just thinking about or what we've been doing on the weekend Then we talk about what everyone's working at the moment, if there are any blockers. And then I usually go into one-on-ones. And right after that, most of the time, I get to actually work on the different projects that I'm on. So right now, I'm resubmitting an ethics application for the study in Portugal. So I get to work with the competent authorities there a lot, learn about a lot about like study guidelines. I saw one for 155, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah, just different kind, of different laws as well. We actually we're so close with the department, like the legal department, because we have to set up like clinical investigation agreements a lot, and um, so that's been happening. And like study partic like participant information sheets that have to be um, correct for the specific data protection law in that country. And um, so yeah, I've been usually talking and messaging people to help me out in different different areas. And um, 
And then sometimes I start writing already on papers if we have the time for it. So if I get like a couple of hours of like a block of time, and I guess as with you for like software development, I usually, if I want to write something, I need actually a chunk of time or like write a poster about like results that we have. Right. And then for another study at the same time, we start setting it up at the moment. So like for looking at like the data environment of that day, monitoring that data, um, talking a lot of with different partners. So I feel like I'm talking a lot with my team, but actually nearly even more with like external partners sometimes because we never run studies just on our own. It's always with at least one or two different partners so that we have, um, so that we have just different opinions about everything. Um, so yeah, that's just usually the kind of work that I do. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you also managed, uh, you also mentioned managing people that you have a team now. So Could you go into more detail there? Like how, how many people is that? And like, how, how does that work? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was actually really funny. So I started working full time in January last year. Um, and in April, they asked me if I was able to take on the uh, team management role for the team because my previous manager was leaving. And I was so scared because I was literally just starting full-time. I still had to like get used to working full-time, even though I've been at the company before. And um, there was like so much I wanted to learn about like data analysis. I wanted to learn how to like use Python for that, for example, or like do a medical writing course. And then all my energy for like from one day to the other changed to like learning how to be a manager. And that's just something you never learn in med school. That's also something that they afterwards yeah. in hospital don't teach. And I actually think now that I'm experiencing it, there's so many doctors in hospital that are kind of managing teams or overseeing teams and they have no idea what they're doing. Um, and they also right. don't learn that much how to do it. So I, yeah, what happened to me is I, like they asked me, they gave me the job and, um, and then I had like, I think a week of holiday. So I started reading up, uh, making up a manager by Julie mm -hmm. Shaw, I think. And so I read that in the week while I was in Portugal. And I like in May last year, I started um, working as a manager, actually. So we're uh, myself and then three people in the team right now. And we work also very closely with the medical safety team. So often, even though they're not in the team specifically, they're like for active post-market surveillance, for example, we like collaborate very, very closely. Um, but like I've got three reportees then. Um, And in the beginning, it was, I think I lacked a lot of confidence because I was like just turned 25. Um, they, everyone just knew me as a med student before. And of course, I was like in the same team with the people before. So it was a bit difficult going from just a study manager to actually managing the projects and the team. Um, but luckily, I had a very, very supportive team and incredibly supportive manager who I'm still reporting to. And... I was struggling with the decision to actually become a manager initially, but there was like, it felt for me there was like no better time to ever do it because I had such a big safety net because I had my previous manager as my mentor with whom I talked to regularly, nearly daily. And my new manager who was so, so good to talk to as well and so helpful and I could run everything past him. So I thought like there's no, no better chance to actually try it out. Um, and then a super supportive team as well. So I, did it and I really enjoyed it, but I also really, really struggled. Like I was so scared about like the first grocery reviews that we had. So I was like, oh my God, what can I actually teach people inside my team? And we have quarterly grocery reviews. Like what should I talk to people about? And it took me 
maybe six months to really get comfortable in the position, to not be constantly like struggling, like, did I do this correct? Is this, is everyone feeling okay? Um, and for me, it's very important that everyone can like grow inside the team and actually also not only work on what's good for the company, but ideally you can have something that's good for the company and good for the development of the people. And um, so I do spend a lot of time talking to people about that and, and learn how to develop them, even though I sometimes felt like, can I even give them enough input? But even by just asking them the right questions, I noticed that's already helpful enough very often so that they didn't think about where to go or like connecting them with someone inside the company that could be a good mentor or motivating them to look for mentors outside or just like I think what's important for me is that it's normally not me talking to people inside the company but that everyone kind of gets like if they do something right that then people see that it's them doing something right so I think I some like slowly noticed um how I got more comfortable with being a manager and enjoyed it very very much so i love that i can do like both project management or study management and learn more about that and at the same time like maybe 50 50 also manage the team yeah cool and your work right now would you say is it fun oh yeah definitely um i feel like i'm learning something new every day and because there's just so many projects going on at the same time and like you get to like meet people like from the US like one day and then from another country the, the other day. And it's definitely very challenging. So I do feel like I'm growing a lot, which is important for me as well. And that I also can actually do something good. I think that's why a lot of people become doctors as well. It's because they want to um, help people. They want to provide care, like give people safety. And of course, if you're not working like directly with patients, it can be hard to have that feeling as well if that's what you're looking for. Um, yeah. And this is something that definitely gets me out of bed, being able to like um, have a positive impact on people. And I think I can have that inside the team, but also with the product that we have and the studies that we actually run that help. For example, as the use case that I described earlier, maybe create a new use case that helps people then um, I really feel that we can have an impact with the company and therefore, yeah, at the same time, I have a really, really fun job and very flexible and yeah, very happy with that. Yeah, cool. So what aspects of your job do you not like? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I constantly get those messages, like these automatic emails that I have to do these SOP trainings. <laughs> These are like the ones right. that I push back until like, <laughs> I think my manager has to remind me actually very often because then if I don't do it for a while, my manager gets a mail um, <laughs> that I have to do them. So I think that's something I'm always pushing uh -huh. to the last minute. Um, I think in the beginning, I really didn't like run to, running meetings, like even the team meeting, I was terrified of like running like those kind of meetings or like speaking in meetings with like, stakeholders like especially external stakeholders so that was really terrifying but by now i think it's gotten much much easier and actually really fun um yeah can't think of something else at the moment yeah good point and maybe the first point with the srp trainings like could be generalized to working in a in a regulated industry so um well which which is kind of like a double-edged sword like you I mean, firstly, your job is interesting because you're in a regulated industry and have to do stuff like clinical trials, obviously, which is like your work and which is the interesting part of your work. 
But then again, also in the regulated industry, you have to do like, in my opinion, a lot of like useless stuff, like um, click through trainings because you have to be trained for regulatory purposes, even though those trainings might kind of like not be really connected to reality a lot. And I've talked to another person from a pharmaceutical company, which probably is even more regulated. And he said the trainings were like completely ridiculous because it would be like outdated PowerPoint presentations about like how to do things, but it had nothing to do with his day-to-day work. So I'm, I'm not saying that that necessarily applies to you, but probably there are like many aspects working in a regulated industry uh, where you do have like some overhead of work, which is not always like very, very fun to do. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think I mentioned those study guidelines, the ISO 14155 previously, that we're trying to follow for every study that we're setting up. And it's just not up to date to like digital, like software products. Um, right. So for example, there was one question that we had, we run like a study where we just don't have any site. So it's like fully online. And so you've had like a decentralized clinical trial. And we've been so much struggling to actually fulfill these guidelines for a clinical trial like this, like how do you monitor? How do you, like, it's just something that we have no idea about. And we even like consulted other companies, like, hey, how are you doing it? And there's just no real guidelines, how you document, how you do it. Um, so I just feel like there's a lot of, like, or for the one in Portugal, it's specifically, I, I think Portugal is the one country I never want to set up a clinical trial in ever again, if I if it has to go through the competent authorities and national ethic committees, because it's, they require you just such an extensive ethics application that I've been working with for so long now. I just really, really hope they accept the resubmission now. But they require, yeah. I don't know, 40 different documents about everything. And then you have like they very often just like copy paste, like you have to do this, and then you have to explain like in like a whole page why this isn't applicable for a digital health trial. But they're just not used to working with medical devices or like software as a medical device. Right. So, yeah, it's just, I think, the whole, that whole industry and academia overlap for digital health just has to adjust. And yeah. the regulatory guidelines don't really help. They are, like, not up to date as well. For sure, yeah. And maybe to add to that, which is more of a rant, is, like, unfortunately, the super smart people, like the, the Albert Einstein people, they they don't end up working as a regulator typically <laughs> and they're, they're not like you don't have like the rockstar software engineer becoming a regulator and understanding software very well but instead it's often unfortunately some random bureaucrat who still can be like a nice person and reasonably smart but definitely not like a software expert who will be able to understand your software very well and kind of like give you like a fair assessment of whatever you want to do often they don't understand it very well which can be very frustrating yeah, true. Luckily, I've got like my mentor, Stephen Gilbert, is the first professor for regulatory science in Dresden here in Germany. Um, and for all these questions about digital health, because he has such a broad knowledge about the industry and about regulatory. Um, every time we just have a question, I can actually just quickly ask him and he gives me like the yeah. most informative, helpful answers. And he's also advocating for um, regulatory to be... Um, more realistic and actually enabling people more instead of just saying mm. no to everything or making it more complicated. So he's definitely a very good address for any regulatory questions. And I'm yeah. very glad that he's a source of for us to help us as well. Yeah, it's a good point. 
Maybe I should talk to him next, which I think you also hinted upon in <laughs> our initial call, but let's, let's see if he replies to He'd my message. Like <laughs> he, probably, he probably will. <laughs> he will. He replies um, so fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Um, now, moving on to like a few more meta questions, which I have, and some of these are actually new, so I'm quite excited to hear, hear your answers to them. Like, so if you would have a few million euros in your bank account, would you do anything differently? And by the way, a few million euros was by design. So you won't be like crazy rich, like say like double digit billion euros where you can just like buy random houses and do whatever you want. But you will be like reasonably quite rich that you probably don't have to work anymore. Um, so that's kind of like what the question hints upon. Like if you had that amount of money, would you do anything differently right now? Mm, that's a good question. So currently I feel like I'm living the life that I've been dreaming about for a long time. So I don't think I would change something like right away. Um, however, you kind of never know. And there's still so much you can do to increase access to healthcare. So maybe, I don't know, maybe founding a company or an NGO to support that goal would be something I could be quite passionate about. All right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really great. And I think not many people are in that position that they can say that, that they they're in a position which they really enjoy right now. I mean, I could imagine many people saying like, okay, if I had that money, I would quit my job and I don't know, move to Bali and go surfing and you've already got part of that covered. So, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Now that I, I also, I think I, I am someone I like, I usually enjoy working and um, I think if I wouldn't enjoy working anymore, I would probably also just quit my job and find something else because I can be passionate about a lot of things. Um, yeah, so good yeah, point. That I've been yeah. so long for the company is a sign that a lot of things have been going quite well. Yeah, it's a good thought because I think many people think, okay, they would just stop working, but then suddenly you have like these 16 hours per day where you don't really anymore know what you really want to do or you don't have anything to do and suddenly it becomes really boring. So it's a, it's a very valid point. Yeah, um, I think it's so possible to fill the time, but I would just not just hang out but i don't know go surfing maybe i don't know do something like non-paid stuff that i really like i don't know right. do a lot of writing or um just i have lots of like hobbies that i like um but i think i would do that for a couple months and then i'd be like okay i can like do something useful with my time now yeah <laughs> okay cool if you could go back in in time like if you could time travel back to your to your past self in medical school uh, what advice would you give yourself and would you do anything differently? Especially, would you do anything differently? Mm, I don't think I would change that much. Um, but I feel like I probably would change my attitude. I would try to change that because I'm someone who likes to plan a lot and sometimes also to worry or like to overthink things. Mm. Um, and I noticed like the best things that actually happened in life were those that were just like coincidences and that I actually did not plan but it just happened you just meet someone and they introduce you to something and you fall in love with that thing um so I would just like get probably get the advice to try not to worry too much and that things will yeah. work out in the end okay and another question which just popped into my mind is what did your what did your again feel free to skip what what did your family say when you probably at some stage you told them like hey okay like interesting news I'm not becoming a doctor like um did did they like did they have any opinion on that? Oh uh, yeah oh yeah yes 
<laughs> um, I had a conversation with my friends a lot about this topic because like all of my friends who did not go worked as a doctor right away. I feel like you just you have to justify yourself quite a lot, not only to your family, but also to a lot of people around you um, because there is a doctor shortage um, in many, many countries. And I don't know, people then tell you like, hey, I don't get an appointment for so long. And like the state in Germany, it's amazing the state pays for your education, which is a substantial amount of money as well. And you can be incredibly grateful that you actually got one of these um, of these medical places that you actually got to study medicine um, for free, basically, in the end. Whereas a lot of people try to apply and they don't get in. And so, yeah, we just had these conversations a lot. My mom's super supportive um like biggest fan always um there was never any question from her and mm-hmm. um, i think my father was like questioning it a bit more he's a physician himself so he was right. uh he didn't understand like i think the previous generation um who was like working like a lot and who are like i don't know just like the boomer generation it's hard for them to understand that you study medicine and don't go to hospital right away it's yeah, I think it's hard for them, but in the end, they do understand as well. If they see that it makes you happy, that it fulfills you, they, they're they okay with it. So I think at some point, you just have to stop um, pleasing people around you and kind of society and do whatever feels like right in the end for you, even though that means you will have unpleasant conversation from time to time. But that said, I do plan to go to hospital eventually. <laughs> so I'm not completely only digital forever, but I do want to work as like in hospital, at least for a while. Um, oh, really? So you actually, <laughs> you actually are considering going back to work as a, as a physician? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking of going into dermatology. I'm quite passionate about that field. And I don't know when I actually... so. I had a mentoring call. Like I just messaged one of my old professors who got me really, really motivated for for dermatology um, at Charité and just had a call, I, don't, I think a month ago with him because um, I'm trying to figure out how to best combine like my passion about dermatology and my passion about digital health and research. And I still like listen to like podcasts to like stay up to date, kind of up to date with medical information. Um, just like having that as a hobby at the moment. and. Um, I don't know. I, I think I really want to go to clinic at least for a couple of years. And I know if I don't want to continue in hospital, um, I can always go back to digital health because now I kind of worked in it already. I have a network and I have at least some of, of a skill, skill set. And I think even if I go to hospital right away, actually um, right after working for Ada, for example, it will actually only increase my skill set. And and make me a better researcher in the end because I will understand the problems a bit better as well. So, yeah, good point. That's so, and that's so interesting. You're you're literally the first guest on this podcast ever, and I guess there are not that many, but still, there's a reasonable amount of people who says that you quite likely want to go back to the hospital. <laughs> so, so that's that's super interesting to hear. Yeah. It is, it is hard. Like, it's really hard for me to justify as well because my working conditions will just be much, much worse. I know when I go to hospital um, and I know that I will have to go to, like, do night shifts. And um, it's just I'm, like, not as flexible anymore. Remote work is, well, I guess maybe it's getting more possible, but definitely not in the first years of residency. Um, so, yeah, I do know that 
currently I have an amazing work-life balance and that will not be as great when I go back to hospital. Um, yeah. But I still, I feel if I don't do it eventually, I'll just never do it. And now, like as I said, I do enjoy working with patients. Um, I just want to try it out. Maybe I guess how many people like do work at a hospital and then I, then they want to go somewhere else, try something else. I think for me, I've all, I'm like kind of like always been in digital health now. Kind of want to mm -hmm. change that again. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I would be super interested to talk to you again once you actually have tried that out in the hospital just to like see kind of like the result of, of these thoughts. Like, was it like as cool as you thought it would be or would you be like, 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 like me, maybe I imagine like if I would go to the hospital, maybe some aspects might be I would look forward to like interacting with patients maybe and doing real medical work, but some other aspects would trigger me so hard that it would be catastrophic like i would for example and these would be small things i would sit down at a computer and see the super crappy it infrastructure in the hospital and i would like probably like in a meme like take the computer and like throw it out of the window or so and it would be like no i'm not i'm not working with these crappy tools <laughs> so, uh, so that I would be totally the result feel me, you. But, yeah. yeah i totally feel you when it comes to that it's like that's been one of the things and i think i've been annoying people when i wasn't in my last year of medical school like telling them all the things that are going wrong <laughs> and like how much better like some companies are organized and where we're not using their right. methods actually what i would be very interested in is like now with the knowledge i have from working in a company um is it actually possible to change some of the processes in hospital like mm -hmm. adjust the way you work in hospital. I know that doesn't probably is not the case for like the clinical information system because you can't probably have an influence for it. Um, at least not very quickly. But I was just wondering now how we're working inside the team. Can we just take something of that and have like and work like that in, in hospital, like with like at least inside the team for like a department or like, you know. Yeah. yeah, let's see. I can I can maybe tell you whenever I whenever yeah, I sure. talk again. <laughs> For sure, I'd be very interested in in, in that update. <laughs> What yeah. advice would you give to um, to doctors who want to do something similar? Like, and I could imagine that could be like maybe medical students um, right now in in medical school, and also thinking like, hey, what Fabian is doing—that sounds really interesting to me. Like this area of maybe clinical trials, clinical evaluation. Like, what advice would you give them to? maybe move in this similar direction? Mm. Um, so I think I would say try to be proactive. So maybe when you're like studying a specific university, check if there are like any kind of working group, any research group that is um, researching an area that you'd be interested in. I think already, like maybe you're, you're having a, you want to write a doctoral thesis and then, or have like go a bit into research and you can already do that at your university. Because I feel like more and more universities have groups that are focusing on digital health. Like for example, in dermatology, I noticed there's one, a charity, one professor, who's like really enthusiastic about it. And I just contacted him and tried to talk to him, like, are there options? Um, and then also just using LinkedIn and just messaging people that you think are right. interesting and just, mm -hmm setting up coffee calls randomly like literally just try to be proactive i know it's scary but i think especially if you're online and linkedin and maybe have a zoom meeting or something that's already less scary than talking to someone in a networking um, event maybe um and yeah just asking people for advice and reaching out or letting them know hey i'm interested in xyz you can even put that on your linkedin 
Um, and then maybe an option will pop up and you should just be open-minded and then and take that. All right. That's a good point. And it's, uh, it's the second time we actually hear LinkedIn on, on this podcast, like just messaging interesting people on LinkedIn and try to like set up like maybe a coffee call or maybe a coffee meeting with them just to like network and get to know them and learn more about the field. So that's, that's a really, really interesting point. And definitely something I could have taken to heart as a medical student. I created my LinkedIn profile after I graduated. So that was definitely not being proactive in your definition. <laughs> But, yeah, no, yeah. Me, me too. I'm really, really bad with LinkedIn myself. We actually just had a LinkedIn, like leveling up your LinkedIn, I think we called it, workshop with my manager because the whole team, my whole team is like not very active on LinkedIn. And yeah. we just, we always prioritize working on something else. Um, But actually, it's having a good LinkedIn and being at least a little bit active is already help can be so helpful for your career. I think as doctors, you usually don't need LinkedIn that much, or people just don't have it too much. But in the digital health field, it's like it's quite important, I'd say. Um, and therefore, just having one is already a very good step, and it does not take long to create one. And just putting some information, a profile picture, and then, yeah, just like starting to follow people you're interested in. And then you yeah. hear about trends, you maybe find about companies. You can also look wherever you live, if there maybe is a company in that field, um, then you can just message and check if they have maybe a position opened or an internship that you can do. And yeah, even, especially I think for research, um, You can actually just look, not even in your city, but like somewhere else, because research is very collaborative and international. And just actually asking someone if you can collaborate on some of the research areas, because like telling them how interested you are in that specific research field. Maybe even if someone's living so far away, maybe there's options to collaborate on like specific project. You never know what happens next. Yeah, very cool. Great. Well, um, thanks for really for, for joining and maybe as a final as a final question like if people are like interested in following you you already mentioned linkedin is, is linkedin like the best place to follow you or is there anything else you'd like to put out there for interested people here uh i think linkedin is actually only the only option right now um so i think yeah just messaging me there and maybe if i can give any advice or help i'm very happy to set up a coffee chat great all right perfect well thanks so much for being here fabienne i think this was super interesting and i think a lot of people could be really interested in this and i personally would actually be really really interested in that update interview maybe a few years down the line when when you're working as a dermatologist and to talk to you how those two things actually compare because you'll be one of those super rare people who probably have worked extensively in digital health and then now are working in the hospital again but yeah let's see if that happens but i'd be i'd be super interested <laughs> in that um regardless thanks so much for for taking the time today and um enjoy your time on bali thank you very much